welcome to the Different Functional Podcast, where we explore the triumphs and challenges of trauma recovery and being neurodivergent in a neurotypical world. In today's episode, we're going to be talking all about coming to terms with the pain that we may have caused or the trauma we may have inflicted to others while on our healing journey. I am Autumn, the older sister. And to start out today's episode, Ivy and I wanted to share a couple instances of the ways in which we have unintentionally paid our trauma forward. So that you know if you have accidentally or intentionally caused other people harm on your healing journey, you're not alone. This is a very common thing. And it was hard for me to really pinpoint a specific thing because I feel like I paid my trauma forward insidiously and consistently in all of my relationships. I grew up as the enabler in the family. That was my role. Everybody else's needs were more important than mine. And so at the beginning of my healing journey, the only way that I could find to get my needs met was to make my needs more important than anyone else's. And so I flooded any relationship I was in with my desires. I mean, I would try to help them out, but at the end of the day, it was all about me and what I wanted and what I needed. And I ended up causing a lot of, a lot of pain to other people. And a lot of times, sadly, they did not even realize that the pain I was causing them because of the way I did it. And so they would end up blaming themselves for failing me when the reality was that I was failing myself. You know, when we think of trauma and trauma survivors, there's this part of us that just wants to see trauma survivors as always being these sympathetic characters that obviously because they've been through so much, they would never hurt another person themselves. And as great as that would be in an ideal world that we, even when we have been hurt, would not inflict pain on others. That's honestly not really all that realistic. Maybe some people can, but I do feel like a lot of us that have been through trauma, who have been abused, especially in very early childhood, we do end up hurting other people as we're trying to recover ourselves. And I, I want to point to what Autumn said about how the role she played in our family influenced her as she got out on her own, because she did have to be the caretaker for everybody in our household. Her needs did not matter for most of her childhood, if not all of her childhood. And so it makes sense that when she got out on her own, she would just desperately cling to her own needs and trying to fulfill those needs because she never had the opportunity do that. And I think in our own ways, like a lot of us are impacted by our trauma in such a way that it makes us lash out or hurt others because something was ripped away from us. Our autonomy was taken from us. Our choices were taken from us. Our needs were not fulfilled. And so we do end up inflicting pain on other people. And I am no exception to that. I am Ivy, the younger sister, by the way. And while I kind of second what Autumn said, I was not the caretaker in our family or the enabler, but in a lot of ways, my needs were also not seen to, and there was a lot of neglect and abuse and everything in our household. And so I also, when I got out on my own, was very selfish in a lot of ways. And I kind of had this attitude that like, well, this is just the way life is. This is how it works. It's eat, you know, or, or be eaten. It's survival of the fittest. And nobody's going to ever see to my needs except for me so if i want to get anything for myself if i want my needs to be fulfilled i have to do that myself at all costs regardless of who it injures and it's it's a fucked up way to look at things but it's also a fact of the matter that i lived that way for years in my late teens and then through my early 20s i really didn't start to change significantly until my mid-20s and the reason why i started to change and this is the part of my life that i have the most remorse about. I try not to do a whole lot of regrets, but 
what I have the most remorse about is my second marriage. And I've talked about it on other episodes of the podcast a couple of times before. My second husband was a genuinely good, kind, wonderful, loving man who really wanted to just love me. He desperately wanted to be a good partner to me. And yes, he had his own issues as well that did not jive well with my own, but he put in the effort. He tried so hard to be a good partner to me. And I, I pushed him away and I lashed out at him and I all but spit in his face. And I made his life hell for the time that we were together. I just filled his life with chaos and worry and drama and pain. And I can't take that back. And I can't justify my behavior because he literally did nothing to deserve it. Every other person that I felt like I had inflicted pain on up to that point, like I felt I could justify my behavior because, well, they did this and so I did that in response to them. But when you hurt somebody that literally never did you any harm and only wanted good things for you and only wanted to love you and support you and encourage you, when you do that, you have to confront the fact that, wow, I'm, I'm doing some really fucked up shit. And that, was, that relationship was the catalyst for me in starting to change. But I didn't start to change until that point because I literally could not look at anything that he had done and say, okay, well, what I did was in response to that thing, so he deserved it. No, I was just being selfish, and that was the first time that I really had to confront how much my trauma had really impacted me and how much I had used my trauma and turned it and used it as a weapon towards other people to get what I wanted or to feel safe and secure myself. It's a hard thing to live with, for sure, having to confront those demons in yourself and having to confront that part of you that that isn't as compassionate as you would expect it to be. Because again, like I said before, you would expect that somebody who's been through trauma and been through abuse would have so much compassion and understanding and sympathy and love for other people in those situations that they would do everything in their power not to cause pain. But not all of us are perfect victims. In fact, I think a lot of us are not perfect victims. And whether we want to or not, we do end up inflicting pain on others in our own path towards healing from our trauma. And I would argue, you know, that a lot of us really, we don't want to cause that pain, that it does happen unintentionally. And there's a reason that there is that phrase out there that hurt people hurt people. Because there are so many reasons when you do come from trauma, when you have been through so much pain, that that pain does end up bleeding out onto people around you. And I don't think a lot of times it is intentional on our part. It's just what happens. And there's a lot of reasons for it. You know, like Ivy pointed out with me, I was desperate to get my needs met. I was drowning in pain. And when you have somebody that's drowning and you try to save them, a lot of times they'll try to pull down their rescuer with them. And it's not like they want to die and they want you to die as well. It's just a matter of you're desperate, you're freaking out, you're in survival mode, you're panicking all the time and you don't know what else to do. And that plays out in the emotional and psychological world as well. And on top of that, many of us who went through trauma, we just lack skills. We weren't taught how to emotionally regulate, which is really, really scary because the trauma also meant we were probably taught how to have extreme emotions. And we weren't taught any really positive coping skills of how to deal with the extreme emotions or the behaviors that resulted. We weren't given any communication skills or conflict resolution skills. 
we were not given any of the skills we needed to have those healthy relationships going out into life. And many of us also may not have had any exposure to healthy templates at all. A lot of times when we have gone through childhood trauma, we are in isolated environments and the only templates we're really given access to are those ones that caused us trauma. There are just so many reasons that hurt people do hurt people. Yeah, I mean, there are also a few other reasons why hurt people hurt people. I know one of the biggest ones for me was that a lot of toxic behaviors were completely normalized for me. That's why I ended up with that attitude where it's like, yeah, I don't intentionally want to inflict pain on other people, but pain is just a part of life. And if you want to have your needs fulfilled, you're going to have to inflict pain on other people because it's a dog-eat-dog world. And I ended up with that attitude because that is much of what I saw in our upbringing. That's the behaviors that I saw exhibited, especially by our parents, were so unhealthy, so toxic, so damaging and destructive to themselves and everybody around them. That's all I knew. That was normal to me. Those sorts of things were perfectly normal, acceptable ways to behave. Even though part of me knew that that was fucked up, I just thought, well, that's just life. Like, yeah, it's, it's messed up. And I was very jaded and cynical by, by the time I was out on my own because I just thought, well, it, it sucks, but that's the way it is. That's just reality. And also some romanticization of toxic behaviors as well. Because my mom, for instance, I remember her being very much this tragic figure, kind of an Ophelia complex where she was just always the victim in everything. She had a lot of dramatic flair with it but she very much had a victim mentality in every part of her life. And she literally romanticized it and made it seem like it was this beautiful thing to be this desperate victim character, this tragic figure. And so I picked up some of that as well and it took a long time for me to get past that. And then also another reason why hurt people hurt people is to push other people away because I did a lot of that too. I didn't trust anybody. I had a lot of anger. I, I didn't believe that love was unconditional. I felt like I had to have these really rigid boundaries. I couldn't trust anybody to be close. I had to push them away. You do not trust, never trust. And that is something that I still struggle with to this day. And I used, like I said before, my trauma as a weapon to inflict pain on other people in part to keep them away from me. Even after I had that realization that I needed to make changes after my second marriage, what I did was completely wall myself off from everybody and push people away in every way that I could because I thought that was the only way to stop myself from hurting other people. Hurt you now so that I don't hurt you worse later kind of thing. And that leads to yet another reason why hurt people hurt people is self-destruction. Because even when I did have that realization that I needed to make changes, I was so angry, not only at my parents and the upbringing that I had had that shaped me, but I was also really angry at myself for everything that I had done up to that point. And I thought I was just this terrible person and there was no saving me. I was a lost cause. I was completely broken. I was fucked up. I didn't deserve happiness. I didn't deserve love. I deserved nothing. I was that terrible that I deserved absolutely nothing. And so in my self-destruction, again, pushing people away and lashing out and just being the worst side of myself, even when I thought I was doing better. And that caused a lot of collateral damage because I had people that did love me and they saw that I was in pain and they saw I was suffering and that I needed help and they tried to get close and I wouldn't let them get close because I didn't trust them and I didn't trust me not to hurt them and I just shoved everybody away and I hurt a lot of people just by pushing them away, including my second husband. That's a big part of what I did to him. I definitely feel that idea of collateral damage in my own life because I have literally self-harmed before and I was very self-destructive and for the first 
you know, little bit of my life when I got out on my own, my plan was actually to self-destruct, to hopefully lose enough control and be dead before I was 30. And when somebody loves you, that causes them a lot of pain to see you going through that. But like I said, when we started all of this out, I don't think that most of us that are hurting people are doing it intentionally and we don't want to hurt people. I think it adds to our sense of shame and it adds to our sense of guilt and it adds to everything that we're feeling and we want to stop, but it can be so difficult, one, to even know how to stop paying this trauma forward, but two, then to live with the guilt or the remorse of the behaviors that we have caused. And that's really what we're talking about today is how do we stop paying the trauma forward and how do we live with ourselves once we have done the work because we can't go back in time and magically change things no matter how much we may want to. And I think this really starts with the idea of that we do need to stop that advancement of trauma. I had a, a supervisor at a job I worked with and there was another employee that had mixed up their schedule and he was trying to explain why it was mixed up and you know ask for forgiveness and he kept apologizing and the supervisor said to him, I don't need you to be sorry, I need you to be here. And I know that sounds really cold and I know that sounds really harsh, but that was one of the first times I actually realized in my life being sorry wasn't enough because I could see some of the stuff I was doing, but I felt bad. And so that was okay because I was sorry for it. But I began to realize, no, being sorry wasn't enough. What I needed to do was to start acting in a way where I wouldn't be causing pain to other people, where I didn't have to be sorry. I needed to start getting some control over the chaotic disaster that was me so that I could stop being sorry because I was not hurting people anymore. And personally, I believe that if we want to stop paying that trauma forward, that that really starts with acknowledging that we have responsibility for our actions, acknowledging that we are hurting others. I mean, if you look at programs like AA that work with populations that because of their addictions, they do cause a lot of pain. That's one of the basic tenets is acknowledging that you have responsibility for your actions. And that's not saying that it's okay that other people abused you or that the abuse was your fault, but it is saying that that did happen to you, but that doesn't give you free reign to then pay that trauma on to everybody else. What you're doing now, you still have responsibility for your actions and it does require you to see that so that you can even take that first step towards stopping that pain, towards breaking that cycle. That one was a hard one for me when I was younger, trying to come to terms with that because there was that part of me that just desperately wanted to blame our parents for how I had ended up. It was their fault that I was the way that I was, that I was that broken, that I was causing harm to other people, that I was causing harm to myself, that it was their fault. It was all their fault. And it took me a while to get to a point where I was able to acknowledge that yeah, they played a part in who I have become and the issues that I have, but I'm responsible for myself now. I'm an adult. These are my relationships. I don't have my parents hovering over me, forcing me to do things. I should be making better decisions and I should be doing my best to not harm other people. I can't just pass the buck to my parents, blame it on them, and just escape accountability for it. And then the next stage, I think, is even believing that you can change. Because that was also really hard for me. I mean, this everything in this episode, honestly, is very near and dear to my heart because I have worked so hard on these concepts. And believing that I am capable of change 
is so difficult for me. That difficulty has haunted me for most of my adult life. And it's still something that I wrestle with. That's a big part of what I've been tackling in therapy for at least the last year is that no matter how much I changed my behaviors, I still believed that me fundamentally that I could not change. I could change my behaviors. I could do my best to protect others from me by cutting myself off from other people, by being a perfectionist, by berating myself every time that I messed up. Yes, I could do that, but I could not fundamentally change. Because in my head, the trauma I had been through, the abuse that I had suffered had broken me so completely that I was incapable of actually being a good person. It didn't matter how much I changed my behavior. My fundamental belief was still that, yeah, I can act better, but I'm still a terrible person. And that is something that I still struggle with. I am still very much a perfectionist. I am still always afraid that I'm gonna hurt other people. It's still hard for me to let people get close because I am terrified I will cause them unnecessary pain. But that is a battle that you have got to fight in this because if you don't even believe that you're capable of change, Either you'll give up on making the behavioral changes entirely, or you will still find that, like me, no matter how many behavioral changes you've made, no matter how good of a person you do become, you won't believe it. And if you don't believe it, on some level, you're still going to be stagnating. You're still going to be stymieing your own process. You're still going to be keeping everybody at arm's length because you don't believe that you are capable of change. You can feel all the guilt and remorse in the world, but like Autumn was saying with that supervisor of hers, I don't need you to be sorry. I need you to be here. And that's part of showing up and stopping the advancement of trauma and not paying that further forward is believing that you are capable of changing, that you are not so broken that it is impossible for you to change, that it is impossible for you to be a good person who is worthy of love and understanding and compassion. You need to believe that you can change for yourself and that you can change for others as well. And that can be an extremely difficult step, especially for those of us that have that complex trauma history, because part of what happens with that complex trauma history is we have the learned helplessness, that victim mentality. Our abusers oftentimes wanted us to believe that we were completely out of control in the situation and there was nothing we could do. So for many of us, whether literally or figuratively, we spent years having that message beaten into us that there was nothing we could possibly do or change. And so this is a very difficult step and it sounds oh just believe in yourself it sounds so cliched but that in itself takes so much work now once you do acknowledge you are responsible for your actions and you start developing that belief that maybe i can change my behavior maybe i can change some of what i'm doing so i'm not hurting other people to such a degree it's important that you then identify why you're doing what you're doing a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times we can look back at our history or sometimes even our current situation and we can identify the things that we are doing that are causing pain to other people. But I think it's really important to know why we're doing that. Because a lot of us that did come from trauma, we're not just dealing with trauma. There's often a lot of other things going on as far as mental health. We may be neurodivergent. We may be bipolar. We may have addictions. And so it's not just the trauma or this particular trigger is causing my behavior, we do have to actually start looking at ourselves and going, okay, what all is dysregulated in my system and where is this behavior coming from? Because for me, with an example, for the longest time, I thought that my meltdowns, that me losing control and hurting myself was all about trauma. It took me a little over a decade to realize 
that was my autism. That was a sensory overload. And I only realized that because I had made so much progress and had done so much work with my trauma. And I was like, why can't I get this under control? Why can't I change this? I've done the work. And I realized I did the work for trauma, which is great, but I had not worked on the symptoms of autism that were also causing me issues. And by identifying that that's what was going on, I was then able to start working on that particular issue instead of just focusing on the trauma because we do have so many arenas of our life that are fitting into things. It's not just, oh, the trauma is causing this. There are relationships, there are mental health issues, there are physical health issues, there are environmental problems. And so figuring out exactly why we are doing a specific behavior can be so helpful. One of the notes that I wanna make on that real quick is that this is not an overnight process. If you've been working on your trauma or your or even your mental health, like you recognize that these things don't happen overnight. It sounds like it should be so simple to just identify why you're doing the things that you're doing, but it's often layer upon layer of different things that are going on. So be patient with yourself during that process because you may think that some of your negative behaviors, your harmful, destructive behaviors are coming only from your trauma, only to find out that ah, it's not just your trauma. There's also a mental health issue that's going on here or an addiction that you're struggling with. Just like Autumn was saying, there's usually multiple layers to it and it takes time to tease those things out. So be patient with yourself in that process. Now, once you are able to actually identify what's going on with you, why you're acting these ways, why you feel compelled to behave in certain ways that you then feel guilt and shame for later, once you identify that, then you actually do have to do the work to address those issues. And the, the automatic thing that we would jump to is like therapy, right? And that's great. That is wonderful. I highly recommend therapy if and when you feel ready to do it. It has been wonderful and life-saving for me, but also incredibly challenging and painful. It is not for the faint of heart. And so you want to make sure that you're actually ready to do that. And if you're not ready to do that yet, or you can't afford to do that right now, that's okay. It's not like you can't do anything. There are so many ways in which you can do the personal work to really address the issues that you're having and to change those behaviors and to change your perspectives. Things like journaling, doing mindfulness practices to help you calm down, to help you de-escalate if maybe one of the things that you do is get really anxious and overwhelmed and then you lash out, which is something that I did a lot. I had to work on ways to de-escalate myself. So I did do more mindfulness practices for some people doing meditation or doing exercise, physical activity, those sorts of things help. Changing your diet because maybe you have some mental health stuff going on that is triggered by certain foods that you eat. When I realized that I was bipolar and I didn't want to go on meds, I looked for alternatives to being on psychiatric medications. That was just a personal choice that I made. And in researching bipolar and how to, to kind of treat it naturally, if that was possible, I discovered these foods that tended to be trigger foods for people with bipolar that would trigger their symptoms. And when I removed those things from my diet or I significantly decreased the amount of those foods that I was eating, it helped my mental health substantially, which made it easier for me to change some of my behaviors that were destructive to me and to other people. You also have access to so many resources online and in books, self-help oriented, psychology oriented workbooks to help guide you through behavioral changes. We have so much access to so much information, so many resources 
that can help us make these changes. You don't just have therapy as the only option. There are so many things that you can do to work on yourself to help you shift the behaviors that are causing chaos and destruction in your life. And note that we do say begin doing the personal work because once you get on the healing journey, this is kind of your life. This is what you're doing. You're always looking toward to heal. You're always looking to grow. You're always looking to improve. And so, yes, you are beginning it, but this is not a finite work. This is something you're continually doing. And while it is difficult, it is so worth it. And I would say hand in hand with doing that work is just learning the skills. Like we talked about at the very beginning of the episode, one of the many reasons that hurt people hurt people is we simply were never taught the skills not to. And I was really, really lucky that when I was coming out of trauma, I had gotten into psychology, was getting a degree in that, and I was working with kids that had many of the same issues that I actually had. They were not able to emotionally regulate. They were losing control and hurting themselves or other people. And I ended up using a lot of the skills that I learned. For example, just being able to label what your emotion was, focusing in on your body and understanding the cues it was telling you so that you could even tell that you were escalated. Also communication skills, how to express yourself to somebody else in a way that was maybe not positive, but at least useful. So you weren't just screaming or refusing to communicate at all. There are so many skills that we weren't taught. And so a lot of times hand in hand with the work we're doing, that personal processing and the CBT and all of these other things you think about is just learning some basic healthy skills. And honestly, even if you haven't gone through trauma, our society doesn't really focus on helping you to be a mentally healthy, successful person in that arena. And so many of us are lacking in skills. And so we do have to go out of our way to invest time to, to learn in those things. And I know one of the things that Ivy did, which I was always amazed at how much she did learn and how much information she is still able to provide me, is she really deep dived into that whole set of relationship skills. Oh my God, I read so many books about relationship skills and communication skills because one of the, the things that always messed up my relationships and that really destroyed my second marriage that I thank God I learned from at that time, I didn't communicate with my second husband. He would try to talk to me. He even wanted to go to couples counseling. We went a couple of times. I was shut down. I wouldn't talk to him. I didn't know how to express myself. I was just angry. I felt cagey. I didn't want to interact with him. I didn't want to try. I just wanted him to get away from me. And I would get so internally escalated and I would get angry at him. And I wouldn't even tell him why I was angry at him. Like he had no understanding of what was going on inside my head because I didn't know how to express it in a healthy way. I didn't know how to express it at all. And I didn't even want to because I didn't want to confront it. And when I got out of that marriage and I realized just how much damage I did to him, it also made me think about how much damage I had done in other relationships that I'd been in by not communicating with my partner at all, not giving them the benefit of the doubt, not giving them opportunities to develop trust. I didn't even give things a shot. And so God, I don't even know how many books I've read on relationships and communication. And I learned so much about how to even talk to people. And I learned so much about like my own 
my, my own internal issues that were affecting relationships as well. Because one of the things that I learned in that process was that I was always looking for that knight in shining armor to come in and save me from my problems. And I was always so disappointed and resentful of my partners because they didn't do that. And so I'd get sick of my current partner. I would leave them. I'd start dating somebody else. I was always chasing that high of love, thinking if I had my fairy tale love, it would fix everything and I wouldn't have problems anymore. And I had to get to a point where I acknowledged that essentially I was addicted to the pursuit of love. I was addicted to that high because I was mistaking that fireworks and butterflies kind of feeling for fixing my problems. But really all it was for me was a drug. And so I had to, initially I had to just get to a point where I could understand it doesn't matter if I'm in a relationship or not. My partner, no matter how wonderful they are, cannot fix me. They cannot take away my pain. They cannot heal my trauma. I have to do that work myself. And so that was a big part of it for me with learning relationship skills was initially just recognizing that another person cannot fix you. Another person cannot fulfill all of your needs. You have to be responsible for yourself as well. And then once I got to that point, I started really trying to learn more about how to effectively communicate with a partner. My absolute favorite books about communication and relationships, and I've brought this up in other episodes of the podcast before, it's been a while, anything by Terrence Real. I love him so much. I have learned so much from him about how to have effective communication in relationships, especially between men and women. But I do feel that his approach to relationships and communication is applicable across the board, regardless of gender. One of the biggest things that I learned from him was that even at those times when I am very like angry and frustrated at my partner is to remember and to treat them like they are somebody that I love. And that, that really influenced the way that I would try to communicate. So like with my, my current partner, I communicate way better with Calvin than I did with any other person that I've been with. Because even when I get frustrated with him, I don't lash out at him. I don't blame him for things. I don't yell and scream. I don't do any of those things. And I always make it a point to tell him I am frustrated right now with you or with the situation or whatever but I still love you. There is no part of me that does not love you. Even if I don't want to be around you right now, even if I'm angry right now, there is no part of me that does not love you. And I am still working on this. I want this relationship to work and I want to do my part and I want you to do your part. And for me, that was a, a huge step to even be able to get to that point, to tell, to be able to tell my partner when I was mad, what I was upset about, to be able to put those things into words to be able to tell them like, I still love you. No matter what is going on right now, I still love you, I'm still in this, I'm still working on it. For me to not give up, for me to not lash out, to, to blame my partner. Those were huge steps for me in the right direction. And so a lot of the things that I've learned about relationships and how to effectively communicate with your partner and to work as a team with your partner, I learned almost all of that from self-help books. Almost everything that I have learned about relationships and communication, I've learned from self-help books. And it actually has had a significant impact on my relationships. Every relationship that I've been in, I've been a little bit better. The relationship has been a little bit healthier because I've actually put the work into figuring out what does it look like to communicate with your partner? What does it look like to be a good partner? And what do you look for in a good partner as well? And when you're learning those relationship skills, 
that doesn't necessarily just have to be with your partner either. So many of those things can extend out to family, to coworkers, to friends, to make all of your relationships healthy. You know, how to communicate, how to accept accountability, how to have boundaries. All of that's just as applicable in intimate relationships as it is other platonic or coworker or whatever relationships you have. And it's also really important to learn those relationship skills because we don't exist in a vacuum. I feel like so many of us that have gone through trauma, we do start really starting to change or processing what we've gone through in part because we do see ourselves hurting other people and we don't want to be that. We've been abused. We've been hurt. We don't want to be that person. And when you're able to learn those relationship skills, it does help you to get a broader view of things and a bigger view of things. Which is why I think another important part of really stopping that advancement of trauma is once you're doing this work and once you've learned some of these skills is to stop and now reevaluate your past and look at all of that again. Because when we start out, many of us do blame ourselves for everything. We feel like everything is our fault and we're the ones that did wrong and we're the ones causing all the pain. And now we assume all of this ownership of the trauma. But once you start doing that work and once you start learning the skills, you do get to a healthier place. And now you can look back and you can be like, okay, how much of that was me? How much of that was the situation? How much of that was the relationship dynamic? And I think that is a really, really vital piece of stopping paying that trauma forward is once you do the work, really stop and look back and go, okay, but how much do I own here? What am I honestly, truly accountable for? Because if we're trying to pay penance for things that are not our fault, if we're still trying to pay penance for the abuse done to us, if we're still trying to pay penance for what was a very bad relationship dynamic, we're going to keep holding that guilt and there's nothing we can do about it because it's not our guilt to hold. Oftentimes, especially when we come from trauma, we end up in relationships with other people that have also come from trauma. And so we end up having explosive, negative, unhealthy, codependent, sometimes downright abusive relationship dynamics. And that's not all on your partner, but it's also not all on you either. You were both in there and you were both contributing. And that's why I say learning those relationship skills is so important because it does give you a bigger global picture and realize you're not the only operator in this field. Yes, you still do want to take accountability for the pain that you put forward, but it also helps you to understand, okay, I caused a lot of harm in this relationship. And the reason was not just because I was paying trauma forward, it was because my baggage and my partner's baggage just did not interact well at all and caused an explosive problem. And that allows you then, just like Ivy was saying, every relationship she's been in has been healthier moving forward. That's what that's for because we are growing. We are moving forward. This isn't about changing the past because we can't do that. It's about changing the future and changing how we interact with it. And so every step forward gets you to a slightly healthier place. Yeah, and before we move on to the next point, I just want to really stress to, to anybody who's been in some really toxic relationships as an adult after going through significant trauma as a child, there is no shame in having been in relationships that were not good for you. It sucks that that happens, but that is something that happens to a lot of us because 
we don't know any better. We we seek out, often we seek out what is familiar to us. One of the other things that Terrence Real says in his books is that we, we marry our baggage. And that is often what happens. The wounds that are still so deeply unhealed in us, there is a part of us that is always trying to heal those wounds, but does it in kind of a roundabout way that often ends up hurting us more. And one of the ways that that happens is that we do tend to get into relationships with people that mirror things that were familiar to us as children, that yes, we're not healthy and it keeps us stuck in that cycle until we change our perspectives, change our behaviors, learn these relationship skills, all of that. So if you have been in unhealthy, toxic, abusive relationships, please do not feel shame for finding yourself in those situations. It is something that happens to so many of us who have been through trauma and who have been abused. It's just a thing that happens. Please don't be ashamed of that. We did the best that we could at the time with what we had available to us. So just remember that if you are always kind of beating up on yourself for the bad decisions you've made in relationships, I have beat up on myself quite a bit over the years for the bad decisions I've made in relationships, not just the damage that I inflicted, but some of the poor choices that I made in terms of, of partners that I sought out because I was seeking out what was familiar to me, even though it wasn't healthy for me. And it took me a long time to figure that out. All right. So kind of the next thing that we want to look at here is making these more complex, more global big picture changes. So up to this point in our attempt to stop the advancement of the trauma, stop paying that forward, we've been really focused in on ourselves, what issues we have, what the root causes of those are, working very much on changing our behaviors, changing our perspectives, those sorts of things. And when you've been working on that for a while, what will likely happen is you'll get to a space where you'll feel like your environment, your outside life doesn't quite jive with who you have now become because when we change and we grow and we develop in these healthy ways anything that is not that that still exists outside of us that impacts us we're gonna feel really uncomfortable with it it won't feel familiar it won't feel comforting in any way anymore and so when we reach that point we do kind of want to start looking at what other things can i change in my life how can i cultivate the life that brings out the best qualities in me. And that is really important because you want to reduce the things that bring out your absolute worst qualities. You can do tons of behavioral changes and all of those things, and that is wonderful, and you should definitely do that. But if you are continually finding yourself in situations that trigger you, that keep you in toxic relationships or toxic situations, if you continue having those issues, it's going to be really hard for you to fundamentally change in the ways that you want to, because you're still surrounded. No matter how much work you've done on yourself, you're still, you're still surrounded by things that bring out the worst in you or that are deeply triggering for you. And we can't avoid our triggers completely, nor should we, because it is important to have some of that cognitive dissonance that still encourages to grow and move forward and all that. We don't want to just be in an echo chamber all the time, but we do want as best we can to cultivate a life that is healthier for us, that brings out our best qualities, that encourages our growth and development. And so we do want to look at things like our environment and our relationships. You may find that as you get healthier, certain relationships that you had you kind of cut ties with those people or you drift away from them because maybe they're still 
in a very negative, toxic headspace or the dynamic that you have with that person is really negative and toxic. And that brings out the worst in you. And since they're not willing to work on improving things, you have to pull back to protect your own sanity in your own space. But there's other things that we can look at as well to help us fine tune our environment. Like if you find that in addition to your trauma, you also are neurodivergent or you have some mental health issues that you kind of need to have routines or there are things you need to do to maintain, whether that's taking psychiatric medications or eliminating certain trigger foods from your diet or making sure that you have well-established routines that help keep you on track. Like all of those things will be ultimately very beneficial for you and actually helping you fundamentally change in ways that are healthy and in ways that bring out the best qualities in you to help you ultimately end up living your best life, as they say. This idea of really making those global complex changes is one that I think gets overlooked a lot because a lot of us focus on that very first part of the journey where it is all internal gazing and how can I change and how can I be different? And then we do start opening ourselves up a little bit to our relationships and going, okay, how do I work with my partner to create healthy things? And then this next step is really looking even further outside of that going, oh wait, I exist within a community. I exist within a society. I exist within an ecosystem, within an environment, and then even working to make that healthier. And I would say personally, at least for me, a big part of this step was coming to terms with those things that I could not change about myself. There is a reason that PTSD is under that idea of a neurodivergent umbrella because it does change the way your brain and body work and are built and are shaped, especially if you went through a childhood of complex trauma, you are different than that neurotypical normative template out there. And while it is important to do that internal work and make those changes, at some point we do come up against some things that we literally cannot change about us. That no matter how much work we do, this will be an integral part of who we are. And we do have to come to a degree of acceptance with that and begin learning how to accommodate for that. This was a somewhat hard lesson for me to learn because I, I am a control freak and I want to be in control and I want to think that if I put in enough effort to anything, I can change it and that idea of infinite possibilities. And while I really love that, there are constraints, constraints around my biology, there are constraints in my environment, there are constraints around how many resources I have to invest in this. And so while that idea of an infinite possibility may be theoretically true when it comes to our our actual life, there is a set of finite possibilities and it's okay to accept things about you that can't be changed and to make accommodations in your life. One of the hardest things for me was coming to terms with the fact that I am most likely always going to be overstimulated. It is part of how my autistic brain works and all the trauma I went through as a kid that developed that CPTSD in me didn't help any of that. And so yes, well, I would love to be the kind of person eventually that could go out and shop at Walmart and never be overwhelmed by that. My reality was that most likely I am always going to struggle with that amount of incoming sensory data. And so I've had to learn how to make accommodations and that doesn't make me a bad person and it doesn't mean that I've given up on working on myself or I'm just making excuses. It's all part of this picture of growth. We cannot just solely focus only on ourselves. Yes, that is a big piece of it. And yes, we do absolutely do have to do that work we need to become healthier people. 
But if we fail to look at the relationships and we fail to look at the ecosystem around us, we are never going to create that life that makes us the best person we can be, that is a life we really want to live. So I do think this is one that is often overlooked as part of personal growth is changing our environment coming to terms with the things that we can't change and creating accommodations around that within our personal lives, within our relationships, so that we can continue growing. We don't just stop and go, well, I guess that's it. I guess I can't do anything more. Well, maybe we can't change whatever that is, whatever piece of that biology is inside of us, but that doesn't mean we still can't affect changes outward that can still help us be healthier. Yeah, absolutely. That was actually one of the things that was somewhat easier for me to accept that there are certain things about me that were probably unlikely to ever change and trying to find workarounds for those things. There's no shame in finding workarounds. There's also no shame in acknowledging that there are certain things that will never work for you. One of the things for me that I have realized over the years through all the relationships that I've had is that no matter how many good relationship skills I developed and communication skills I developed, there is one thing that consistently has proven to not work for me in relationships. I cannot be in a relationship with somebody who is not extremely independent. Part of the reason that Calvin and I have worked as well as we have for as long as we have now is because both of us are very independent people. We both need a lot of time to ourselves. We both give each other a lot of freedom. You know, we have boundaries that we have with each other, certain deal breaker things, lines that we don't cross, but ultimately, I don't really know what he does with most of his day. He doesn't know what I do with most of my day. We don't worry about that. We don't spend every single second of the day together. We actually spend quite a bit of time alone. Even when we're in the apartment together, we spend quite a bit of time on our own. And that is what works for me. And every time I have tried to be in a relationship with somebody who wants to be with someone they can be with all the time, be super lovey-dovey all over them, spend every single second of the day together, do absolutely all activities together, I cannot last in that kind of relationship for more than a year and a half, two years before I feel so agey and so trapped that I have to get out. And I have accepted that that is a part of me that is probably just a fundamental aspect of who I am. I am just a very, very independent person. And any relationship that I am in, I have to be in a relationship with somebody who is equally independent or who at the very least can respect and give me the amount of freedom and independence that it is that I need. That kind of takes us into our next step here with stopping the advancement of that trauma that we can pay forward is mitigating the damage moving forward. And when I say mitigate that, what I'm talking about is knowing yourself, knowing what it is that you can change about yourself, what you want to change, what probably won't ever change, and being really honest with yourself and others moving forward. I've joked about it on the podcast before. I've joked about, about this with my friends for years and years. I am the queen of disclaimers because anytime that I go into any sort of relationship, a romantic one, uh, friendship relationships, even going into employment, I am very honest about who I am and what my my boundaries are, what my limitations are. I really want the people that I interact with moving forward to have a, a good sense of who I am. And I'm not, not like loud and proud, in your face, super aggressive. That's not my personality at all, but I am just really upfront about some of the limitations that I have. First date that Calvin and I went on, I told him that I had bipolar because I want him to know. And I told him what that looks like and what that means for me and like the sorts of things that go into me maintaining myself and not having episodes and what episodes do look like for me when I do go into a really bad depressive episode. 
I try to be very upfront about those things. I am upfront with people when I, when I first meet them or start dating them about the trauma that I went through as a kid. Even if I don't go through details, like I know somebody who grew up in a very normative, loving family, there's gonna be a lot of things that I can't relate to them on, things that we are likely to butt heads about. I try to be very honest about those things from the beginning because I don't want to cause unnecessary harm to others. I don't want to hurt other people's feelings for no reason. And I don't want them to have unreasonable expectations of who I am. Because one of the things that I've also struggled with over the years is because I am kind of withdrawn and aloof. A lot of people see me from a distance and they have a certain idea of who I am and then they get to know me and I am very different. And sometimes people love that, but there's been lots of times that I've gone into relationships with people that thought I was going to be a certain way. And then they got into the relationship with me and I was not at all what they envisioned. And they walked away very hurt and disappointed. And sometimes thinking that there was something wrong with them when in fact it's, it's not. Like I'm not a particularly lovey-dovey person and I have not done well in relationships with people that expect that. And they'll walk away from that relationship sometimes feeling like there was something wrong with them that I didn't want to give them that. And that's not it at all. It's something that's with me. I still have issues. I still have baggage that I'm working on. This is a continual process of growth and healing. I, I don't know if some of those things about me will change or whether they won't. There are some things that I work on. I am trying to work on getting closer to people and not being so fearful of touch. I'm working on those things. I don't know if those things will change. And so one of the ways that I mitigate possible catastrophe early on is by being honest about those things, letting people know right off the bat what my boundaries are, what kind of issues I have, what things are important to me. And I think those conversations are very important to have. And I think we often don't have those enough, just in society in general. I think a lot of times we don't have those kinds of conversations because a lot of people do tend to find them invasive or like you're giving them too much information because it doesn't fit with the social scripts. But I think we would all benefit a little bit more if we were more communicative from the get-go and did offer up more of ourselves from the beginning so that people could have a really clear concept of who we are if it was not such taboo to communicate about problems as they arise instead of waiting until they become this huge issue because it doesn't have to get to that point and yet so many times in our culture and our society it does because we don't talk about those things that matter until we've gotten really close to a person and by that time sometimes so much damage has been done inadvertently that you kind of can't go back you can't take some of those things back that work that we're doing to, to mitigate that damage moving forward doesn't just end at the beginning. It's not just, I gave you the disclaimers, now you know, and now I don't have to do anything else. Just as that trauma and pain was folded into our behaviors and bled out everywhere, so too can our growth and healing be folded into our behaviors and spread out throughout our life. This is part of why I say, you know, that healing journey, that growth journey, it does become part of your life because you are continuing to do this work indefinitely. And I know, trust me, I know that can sound exhausting, but for me personally, it has freed up so many more resources that I do have more energy and more emotional wherewithal to invest in other areas of my life because I have learned to do this work continuously. And a great example of this is my personal relationship. My boyfriend is ADHD and he has rejection sensitivity and I am autistic. And when I get stressed out, I tend to become very blunt and I can get very cutting. And so you can imagine when both of us are stressed out, 
that can create a very toxic sort of environment. And it has, and it does. And that is why we are continuously doing the work because both he and I recognize, okay, okay, we see what's happening here. We see this dynamic. We see what our past, what our pain, what our trauma is wanting us to do. We acknowledge it. Now let's stop and start using some of those skills. Let's communicate. Let's be open. Let's allow the other person to speak that peace and hold a safe place for them. And we do that on a regular basis. And I know if somebody were to look through our text messages, our conversations would probably be a little erratic because it is very, you know, flirting here or can you pick up this on the way home or where are you at in the store? And then all of a sudden there's these 48 different messages back and forth where we're discussing this interpersonal problem like we're in counseling or therapy. But that's just part of our day now that we invest the energy to do that so that the trauma and the pain and the experiences we've had in the past no longer control us. We're choosing to use these healthy behaviors and we're choosing to use them initially. We're choosing to use them before things turn into a crisis, before somebody gets hurt beyond repair. We're acknowledging that that pain can happen, that we still have the potential to cause that pain in somebody else, but we're going to take control and do our best to, instead of causing pain, allow for a room of growth and healing, not just for ourselves, but for the other person as well. And what Autumn was talking about right there, about that healing, not just for ourselves, but in our relationships as well, I'm going to... I'm going to bring up Terrence Real again. I'm definitely a Terrence Real fan girl. But one of the things that he talks about a lot in his books is the repair. We're always going to have these times when we are in conflict with somebody that we love, whether it's a romantic partner or you know otherwise. We're always going to have these moments of conflict. There's going to be things we don't agree on, where we butt heads, where both of us are stressed out and it's bringing out the worst in both of us. Those things happen. There's no way around that. Nobody is perfect all the time. Nobody is completely, perfectly emotionally regulated 100% of the time. We will still do some harm going forward. It's not about eliminating entirely the harm that we do. That is not a reasonable expectation. But what we can do is accept and acknowledge responsibility when we do fuck up. And that's where the repair aspect of it comes in. Sometimes we do fight and sometimes you have to shake the boat because things need to change. And that can cause some hurt feelings and some arguments and things along those lines. But if you can after the fact, reevaluate everything that happened in that conversation or that argument and try to see where that other person is coming from and look at your own behaviors and double check with yourself about, is there anything that I could have done better there? And be willing and able to not just acknowledge that to yourself, but acknowledge that openly to the other person as well. One of the things that I do all the time now with Calvin that I wish if I could go back in time I would do with my second husband is acknowledge when I'm an asshole <laughs> because I didn't used to do that because uh, I wasn't willing to see that I was the asshole I always had to find some way to justify my behaviors and I don't do that anymore there are times when Calvin does things that I I do think that are objectively frustrating. I think most people would get frustrated with those things. And I do bring those up to him and I do call him out sometimes. And he does the same thing with me. But there are times when my frustration level is so high, maybe I should wait to bring things up, but I'm not capable of it at that moment because I am so stressed out and I am so anxious. And I feel like I have to deal with this right now or I'm not as emotionally regulated as I could be. And I don't handle it as well 
as I could. I don't name call or scream at him or anything like that, but there are times when I could have communicated more effectively. There are times that I look at the things that I say and I'm like, you know what, that actually, now that I'm looking at it, was kind of a hurtful way to put that. I could have done better on that. And I do go to him and I do apologize when I have those moments. And one of the other things that I do as part of that repair is that I acknowledge the effort that he puts in as well. That's another mistake that we do often make in our relationships when we are trying to repair after an argument is that we we don't acknowledge when the other person made an effort. We don't thank them for being part of this process, for still sticking with us, for being willing to work on the relationship. And I think those are really important parts of mitigating the damage going forward, making sure that our behaviors don't do unnecessary harm, is not only apologizing and trying to make amends and trying to do better when we mess up, but also acknowledging and appreciating the effort that the other person puts into the relationship and to the communication. Now, all of this is well and good. Well, it's better than good. It's great because you have done all of this work and you are on this journey and you really have stopped paying that trauma forward. You've reduced the amount of pain that you are bleeding out into the rest of the world and forcing onto other people because of the pain done to you. But none of that can change the past. It doesn't change that the pain that you've already pushed out into the world. And as we get healthier, it can almost be more difficult to live with those past decisions that we've made because we are in a healthier place and we do have a better understanding of everything that went on and how much pain we did cause. Sometimes it almost feels like that remorse can eat us alive or make us want to give up even trying because of the amount of harm we've already done. And so another big piece of really coming to terms with this is not just breaking that cycle of trauma, but it is coming to terms with the guilt and the remorse we do feel for the pain we've inflicted on others. And so how do we how do we do that? How do we take accountability for the harm we've done and come to a sense of peace within ourselves and repair some of that damage that we may have done in the past? And I think a big piece of this starts with understanding that pain is going to happen. Because a lot of us, I think, are taught or believe or get this idea from somewhere that we can just, if we grow enough, if we get healthy enough, we will never, ever hurt another person. And that is not realistic. Unfortunately, harm and harming other people is a byproduct of being alive and interacting with other people. And in some cases, there are even times where harm isn't just a byproduct, it's a necessary function that we have to inflict on other people. And so I think it's very, very important that we do understand that there are different kinds of pain. There is the kind of pain that just happens because we are different people that want different things and those goals don't always align and so somebody may end up hurt. There is also pain that has to be inflicted on other people for various reasons, you know, self-defense or to enforce our boundaries or to remove ourselves from toxic relationships. And then there is the unnecessary pain that we cause that we can take control over that does not need to exist. And so I think that's a really important place to start when you start taking accountability and you look back on the harm that you've done is taking a look at it through that lens and not just going, oh my God, I should never cause pain and I did. But looking at it and going, okay, what kind of pain was it that was caused? Because then we can really understand our accountability in that situation. 
Yeah, I want to talk about that just a little bit more because I do feel like this is a spot that becomes a hang-up for a lot of people. And people that go through trauma, I think that this is a hang-up for them for a couple of reasons, too. Because one of them is that as somebody who goes through trauma, especially when you are very sensitive and soft-hearted, the last thing that you ever want to do is cause pain to another person at all. And so you're desperately trying not to inflict pain on other people because you don't want them to have to go through the things that you went through. So I think on that level, we get it in our heads that like we we can't inflict pain. I, I have to do everything to not hurt anybody. And the other side of it is that we, we kind of as a, as a society have created this idea that it's even possible to not hurt others. And that is a fallacy. <laughs> it is a lie. But when you combine those two things, it can create a lot of issues. Like, yeah, you don't want to go out and just be inflicting pain on people left and right, because that's fucked up too, for sure. But when you are so convinced that you can avoid causing pain to other people if you just try hard enough, you will cannibalize yourself. You will absolutely destroy yourself in that process, and you will likely inadvertently destroy a lot of relationships. And the reason why I wanted to speak to this is because this is something that I have seen in my own life. This is a mistake that I made for a lot of years was believing that if I just tried hard enough, I could avoid hurting anybody. If I just stayed away from people and didn't let them get close, I could avoid hurting anybody. And a very dear friend of mine, she did confront me about this years ago. And she said, there's a huge difference between necessary pain and unnecessary pain. You wanna to try to minimize the amount of unnecessary pain that you cause. Even then, you can't avoid all of it because sometimes without you doing anything, it hurts somebody's feelings because they misunderstand a look that you gave them or something that you said, a, they took it out of context. There's no way for you to avoid completely hurting other people, even unnecessary pain, because you don't have control over the other person and their perceptions. But there are also times when you have to cause pain because it is what is best in the situation. And the example that she used was, let's say you meet this person and they fall head over heels desperately in love with you, but you have no attraction to them. You know you're never going to want a relationship with them. But because you don't want to hurt them, you're still nice to them. You still spend time with them because they're showing that interest in you and you don't want to hurt their feelings. And you spend all of this time essentially leading them on. And that ultimately hurts them worse in the long run. There are times when you absolutely have to cause pain because it's what's best in the situation. And I feel like sometimes this also applies to things like boundaries. Because as much as we don't want to hurt people's feelings... We also do sometimes have to assert boundaries, not just to protect ourselves, but because it's what's healthier for the relationship as well. We don't want somebody to become completely dependent upon us simply because we don't want to hurt their feelings. Because ultimately, letting somebody be completely dependent on you hurts them and it hurts you. So there are situations in which pain and, the, and inflicting pain on others, unfortunately, is completely necessary. You want to avoid as much as you can unnecessarily inflicting pain because you're bleeding out all over everybody or you're lashing out or you don't have any self-control. You want to avoid those sorts of pain, but some types of pain have to be inflicted for the greater good. 
And that is the huge part of this entire process of learning to live with the guilt and the remorse and to be able to accept accountability and move forward and form healthy relationships. That is a huge part is being able to recognize that there are different types of pain and there are types of pain that have to be inflicted and there are some types of pain that cannot be avoided and you cannot control other people and how they respond to things or how they perceive things either. You do not have complete control over the amount of pain that you cause because some pain is necessary and some pain is outside of your control because it is the pain that the other person feels and you don't get to dictate another person's pain no matter how badly you, you want to control their pain because you don't want to be responsible for it. Once you're able to kind of come to terms with this concept, that's when you can really start taking that healthy accountability for the harm you have done. Because at this point you have done so much work and you can understand like, oh, you know what? That abuse wasn't my fault. It was not my fault that as a five-year-old, I was getting beaten, starved, neglected, all of that. And so you learn you don't have to take accountability for that. You're also able to understand when you've inflicted pain as a means to create a boundary, defend yourself, or to help somebody else grow. And so then you can start looking at the times where you allowed pain to just run rampant, where it was unchecked, where that pain was unnecessary. And then you can start taking accountability for that. And that does really honestly mean taking accountability for the actions, owning it, not just saying, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, and providing the reason or the excuse behind it, but owning it. And that can go such a long way, just that piece to repairing a relationship. As Ivy and I have said in the podcast before, one of the absolute main reasons that we have such a, a loving connection to our mother, even though she's passed on, and we were willing and hopeful about connecting with her again in her older years as we got older as well was because she did take accountability. Yes, she gave us reasons. She let us understand what was going on in her life, but she never used that reason as an excuse. She never said, because that reason was there, it was okay for me to do that. And that's really that difference between the reason and excuse. And she did say, I did that and I hurt you and I cannot change it, and it tears me up inside, and I am sorry, and she really owned that. Just taking that accountability can a lot of times mean so much to the person that you have hurt. I wanna talk for a second about accepting accountability as part of your internal process, not even necessarily as like interacting with the other person. Part of accepting accountability, at least in my mind, this was part of the process that I went through, was being able to distinguish the difference between accountability and blame. And I don't even remember what book I read this in. It was years ago. I was like a teenager when I read this book. Hopefully I'll remember what it is and I can put it on the resources page, but no promises. But I remember reading in a book where they were talking about the difference between accepting accountability and blame. And blame came with so much judgment that you are to blame for this thing. It's your fault. You're a terrible person. You ruined this. You fucked that up. There's so much judgment involved in blame. And there's not really a whole lot of the repair involved in blame. And that's where the difference is between blame, accepting blame versus accepting accountability, because accountability is really more a focus on saying, I did this thing. I did this thing. It caused damage. This is the damage that it did. I am responsible for that. 
and I am going to do better now. That's what the difference was. And, you know, maybe that's semantics and different people have different ideas of it. But that actually helped me a lot because I spent a lot of time initially blaming my parents for my behaviors. And then when I had to accept that, oh, shit, my behaviors were my choice once I became an adult and I have to, to I have to be responsible for that. What I then started doing was blaming myself. And there was all this judgment that went with the things that I did. I did this. I hurt this person. I am a terrible person. I should be punished indefinitely because I am to blame for this. But ultimately, that didn't really help me progress a whole lot. It did on some level because, yes, I did hold myself responsible by blaming myself and I did make efforts to change the behaviors that caused that pain, but it didn't fix the problem entirely because while I can apologize to the other person until I'm blue in the face, it doesn't undo the damage that I did. I can beat myself up. I can punish myself. I can let the other person punish me. It doesn't undo what I did. There's nothing that can undo what has already been done. But when I stopped focusing on blaming myself and started focusing on accepting responsibility and accountability for it, I was able to step back enough from the guilt and remorse and everything that I felt to say, okay, I have to accept that I did this thing and this is the damage that it did. And I'm going to apologize for it and make amends as best I can. But what's most important is to do better going forward. Because if you don't change the behaviors, if you don't change your perspectives, if you don't fundamentally try to change yourself and heal yourself, you will continue to inflict that pain again and again whether you mean to or not, even if you're fighting against it. Because that blame, when you have so much judgment wrapped up in it, there's also a lot of shame wrapped up in it. And shame often does hold us back from moving forward in healthier ways. It is important to feel remorse, but to constantly punish yourself and wallow in that shame and cut yourself off from all relationships moving forward and tear yourself down all the time because you are to blame that does not really heal you and it doesn't heal the relationships moving forward. If anything, it isolates you further, it cuts you off even further, and it makes it even harder to heal internally and harder to repair relationships moving forward and harder to form healthy relationships in the future. And I would also say, just to tack on to what Ivy said, when we get caught in that blame cycle, another thing that happens is we continue to make the situation about us. And if you have gone through that childhood trauma, you most likely know how much it hurts when you try to come to a person to explain your pain and they take everything and make it about them. When you're able to just take that responsibility without all that shame in there, you are allowing that to be about the other person, to be about the pain, to create a safe space that they can express that pain openly and you can acknowledge that, yes, I was responsible for that. And so it does really open up that conversation within the relationship so that they feel that this is finally about them. And I do feel that that is a very important part of validating that in the other person. And, you know, Ivy talked about making amends, and that's another great way that we can take accountability for the harm we've done and help us manage our own guilt and remorse is we do try to make amends. And that literally means to do something 
to try to correct it. And that can be just accountability. That can be validation. But like Ivy said, it's also those behavioral changes moving forward. Our mom, like I said, for example, she did take that accountability and then she tried to make efforts to not repeat the behaviors. And this is an ongoing process in an interpersonal relationship. At least it is for me, maybe not for everybody else, but almost every day I encounter something that I am personally working on that does cause pain for my boyfriend. And I have to own that and I have to explain where I'm at in the process and I have to continue trying to make changes so that I can reduce it. Being that behaviorist at heart, I really do look at those things like frequency and intensity. We may not be able to make that behavior disappear overnight so that we never hurt that person unnecessarily again, but we can really show that demonstrated growth of, I am doing this less. I am doing it to a lesser degree. I am getting this under control. And eventually you do see that reduction in frequency intensity. And that is often what the other person is looking for. They're looking for you to try they're looking for you to invest energy into them, into that relationship to make it better. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna bring up Terrence Real again. Hopefully this will be the last time if you guys are tired of hearing about him. But one of the the concepts that he has when he when he talks about relationships, I think can also be implied inwardly with us when it comes to, you know, making those changes and trying to be better, is he talks about when you're in a relationship with somebody and something in the relationship needs to change, you have to give the other person a chance to win because these changes don't happen overnight. It is progressive. You get better and better over time, but you have to give that person a chance to win. And when we're talking about making amends and making those changes ourselves, we need to apply that same concept to ourselves. We have to give ourselves a chance to win. If we know that we need to make these changes and we have all this guilt and all this remorse, and we know I've got to do this because I don't want to cause this kind of pain to other people in the future. But then you end up still causing pain, maybe not in exactly the same way, maybe not to the exact same degree, but if you're expecting yourself to make that change overnight and you mess up and you are going to be so angry at yourself that it's hard to even keep going because to you that just reiterated, see, I'm a terrible person. I can't even fucking change. I know I need to. I don't want to hurt people. And yet I did it again. That's what's going to happen if you're expecting these changes to happen overnight because that's not how it works. It is something that is progressive that takes time and effort and self-awareness and reevaluation and working with yourself and trying to make sure that you can communicate effectively to other people what's going on with you and where you're at in the process. You have to give yourself a chance to win. Now, I do want to put a little caveat in here with the making amends. And this one is hard. This one was really, really hard for me as I started really significantly trying to change myself after my second marriage. That really was a huge turning point in my life. And I got so flooded with so much guilt and shame and remorse because I wasn't just thinking about the ways in which I had messed up my second marriage. I was thinking about all of the pain that I had inflicted on everybody before that too and the pain that I continued to inflict on others even when I was trying so hard not to. I got so completely flooded with that and one of the first things that I wanted to do was make amends with everybody. I wanted to reach out to everybody that I had hurt and make amends. But here is an uncomfortable part of, of reality sometimes is that Sometimes, either you are not yet in a place where you can effectively make amends. You may be in a place where you can apologize, but apologizing only goes so far. 
it's that that concept that autumn was talking about earlier i don't need you to be sorry i need you to be here because you can apologize over and over and over again but if you're not actually ready to make the changes then it, you can't really make amends you're just apologizing but your behavior is not changing and if your behavior isn't changing that's a problem you're going to continue to cause pain to that other person you can't just apologize and think that that's going to be it and if you're not ready to make the changes yet then it's not time for you to make amends yet you have to be at that point where you are ready to make those changes and then sometimes and this one's really hard sometimes even when you are ready to make those changes and you are in the process of making those changes it still may not serve the other person to try to make amends and that was one of the hard lessons that I learned in my process because, like I said, one of the first things I wanted to do was try to make amends with everybody. And there was one person from my past that when I reached out to them, it did not help them at all. It did not serve them at all. It triggered them. It hurt them worse because they were trying to move on with their life. And when I stepped back in, even to try to apologize or make amends, all it did was bring all of this pain and trauma back for them. And they were not ready for that. And I realized that sometimes you have to weigh out whether you actually can make amends to that other person, whether it will actually serve that person for you to come back into their life and try to make amends. In a lot of situations, yes, it is true that in a lot of situations, people do want those apologies and they do want you to make amends and they do want to see those changes in behavior and they do want you to accept accountability. But there are some situations in which when you come in and you try to make amends, all you do is hurt that person more. And those ones, I think that is even harder in some ways. Not only can you not change the past, there's no way for you to make it right without causing more harm to the other person. The best thing you can do is leave them alone. And that was really hard for me to accept because when I had that interaction with that person, I realized that what I had done was just hurt them worse and it wasn't a necessary type of pain because they weren't looking for closure from me. They were trying to find closure for themselves and they were trying to heal their own pain and they were trying to heal their trauma that I had inflicted upon them. And by me coming back into their life, all I did was stir up all of that pain all over again and made them feel unsafe all over again. So you do have to look at things completely and from a wider perspective and really weigh things out and say, okay, am I actually ready to do what's necessary to make amends? And even if I am, will I actually be serving the person that I need to make amends to by coming back into their life at all? Or is it better to just stay out of their life and let them move on without having this all riled up for them again? That is a very, very excellent point. And I know we've said this before, probably many times on the podcast, you're not required to forgive those people that hurt you. You're not required to forgive your abusers. You're not required to forgive the people that put trauma on you. And just as you are not required to forgive, nor is that other person that you hurt required to forgive you. I feel like when it comes to making amends, and this is my personal view of it, and other people may disagree, but I feel like when it comes to making amends, a big piece of that is no longer about me. Yes, I'd like to feel less remorse and less guilt, but at the point that I am trying to make amends, I am trying to make up for the pain I have caused them. The amends is about the other person's growth and the other person's health. And if me trying to reduce my guilt at their expense, that is not making amends. And so like Ivy said, you really have to look at whether or not trying to make those changes and going back into that person's life is going to be effective and healthy, not just for you, but for them as well. 
on that note is the idea of holding memorial to the memories of the pain you have caused. And that essentially means that we remember that we did these things. Guilt hurts. Remorse hurts. It's an uncomfortable situation and we want to make it go away. And I totally understand that because I am a sensory driven person and three quarters of my life is probably spent just trying to make uncomfortable things go away so that I can function. But that guilt and remorse also serves a purpose to help us remember that we don't want to do that again. And that's part of meaning that we are healthy people because we do now feel empathy and we feel the pain that they felt. And so when we're able to remember that we inflicted that pain, we can sometimes prevent ourselves from causing it in the future and we can keep ourselves on this path of health and growth even when it is exhausting and we're tired and we no longer want to do it. Yes, it is important that we find ways to forgive ourselves so we don't get just wrapped in guilt and shame and allow that to cause stagnation on our path. But it isn't always necessarily a good idea to completely forget what you have done. Sometimes the scars that you hold from causing the pain to others can be valid and important to hold on to so that you don't make those mistakes moving forward. On that note, this is <laughs> this is another thing that I have struggled with, as are pretty much everything else on this list. If you can't tell, this has been a huge part of my life for at least the last decade, a little bit longer than that. But on that note of finding a way to forgive ourselves, don't don't forget because you need to be able to remember why we don't do these things anymore. We need to hold those memories close in that sense without being completely consumed by that self-punishment and blame and all of that. And this next point is very much tied into that. And it's understanding that the monster or the demon within us is actually just a wounded part of us as well. This is something I have only been able to address and work on just over the last few months. I, I mean, I, I guess a lot of the work that I've been doing has been leading to this, but I haven't really made progress on this until the last few months in therapy. In the therapy that I'm doing, we're doing something called parts work. Uh, so you have the internal parts of you, you know, like your inner child and stuff like that. And one of the parts that I have is a representation of my father. And I'm probably going to cry here because this one's very raw for me still. One of these parts is kind of the representation of my father, all of the negative things that I feel that I have gotten from him. And this part of me is the part that I feel has been the most responsible for inflicting pain on others. Other parts of me, yes, have also contributed, but not to the degree that this part has. And for the entire time I've been doing parts work in therapy for this last four years, I have kept this part of me completely separated from all other parts of me, hidden away from the world in a tiny cage in a dungeon because I have been so mistrusting of this part of me. It is the part of me that I have hated, that I have completely isolated, that I have tried to hide, that I have tried to run away from, that I have tried to cram away and not deal with again. This is the part of me that I have been the most afraid of because it is the most destructive and i have so much anger towards this part of me because again it's like a representation of my father and all of the worst traits that i feel like i've gotten from him and in the last few months in therapy my therapist has been trying very hard to get me to accept this part of myself and to see this part of myself in a different light and it's finally been working and i'm very very proud of that but it is painful too because 
I have had to see this part of me that I have vilified so much as a victim that I have been inflicting pain upon even further. This is a wounded part of me. This is not some part of me that is an inherently evil monster. It is a part of me that is deeply wounded like an animal, like a wild animal, deeply wounded, terrified of everything, lashing out because it doesn't know any better and it doesn't have any better coping skills. And that was very, very hard for me to accept that this part of myself that I had vilified for so long was really just hurt. And what I was doing was hurting that part of me worse. I was isolating it further. I was driving it even further into a feral state by abusing it. It was that part of myself that is a, a, a that I have been a perfectionist towards, that I have berated, that I have punished over and over and over and over again throughout the years. I took the pain that I'd already had, the wounds I already had, the abuse that I had already endured, and I compounded it. And I not only lashed out on other people, but I turned that around and I inflicted it on myself. And man, has that done some destruction to me, to my relationships, to my life. It's done a lot of damage. And part of me accepting healthy accountability for the harm that I have done is being able to understand that one, that part of me is not a monster. That part of me is deeply wounded. And then not only do I need to make amends and do better moving forward in my relationships, but I need to make amends to myself. Because even though I was not the first one to wound this part of me, I have been perpetuating that abuse on this part of me for years and years. My, my father's not even a part of my life now. Hasn't been for a long time. And I've still been perpetuating this cycle of abuse on this part of myself, the abuse that he started. And I've just been carrying that on. And having to, to see that and acknowledge that I have been perpetuating that abuse now onto myself is very, very hard to accept. It's just as hard to accept as knowing that I inflicted so much pain on other people. I've had to completely shift the way that I see this part of myself, and I've had to accept that part of taking accountability for the harm that I've done is taking accountability for the harm that I've done to myself. It is my responsibility now to heal this wounded part of myself, to try to reintegrate this part of myself, to stop vilifying this part of myself, and to not only learn to love this part of myself, but to help that part of myself love themselves as well. That is often one of the more most possibly complex and difficult pieces of all of this, is being able to look back on the people we used to be or to look within at the parts of ourselves that have caused this pain and to have some forgiveness and some healing for those pieces as well. Unlike Ivy, I was emotionally able to accept that the parts of me that were pushing pain forward for the longest time were wounded pieces, and I was able to give them sympathy, but that did not remove the guilt that I felt personally for me because I always felt like I should have done better, I should have done this, I could have done that. And it took me the longest time to accept that there was nothing I could have done differently. And I want to offer that because I know all of us are a little different in how we approach these concepts and how they play out in our life. And while that piece that Ivy is playing with was such a huge struggle for her, I found that came easy, but it still didn't give me the forgiveness because I had to wrap my mind around it intellectually. 
because that's how my mind processes things. And so for the longest time, and I still occasionally do, struggle with the amount of guilt I have specifically with Ivy because I did have to step into that mothering role and I did have to raise her. And I had so much guilt because I did harm to my sister. I perpetuated the abuse that was in our household. I did not provide her the skills necessary. I made all of these choices and I can look at them now in retrospect, being a healthy person saying, but you could have done better. You could have done this. And I spent so many years in this could have and it took forever for me to finally intellectually realize, no, I could not have. Yes, 40-year-old Autumn could have made a different decision. 13-year-old Autumn could not have. 13-year-old Autumn made the best decision she could make at the time. Was it a good one? No, but I did not have any good decisions available to me to make. I had shit decisions and shittier decisions, and so I made the least shitty possible that doesn't mean it wasn't a shitty decision, but it was the least shitty possible. And so for me on this topic, I had to look at this as an intellectual and I really did have to come to accept that there is nothing I could have changed. Yes, I am so much more skilled and so much more healthy and so much more able now, but 40-year-old Autumn is not 13-year-old Autumn, is not 23-year-old Autumn. And so yes, I have made those choices. And this was a big piece of just radical acceptance of saying I could not have done anything differently. That is a big piece of coming to terms with the pain we have caused is looking at that past self, that part of you that has caused that pain and finding a way to accept that piece into you and accept the decisions that you made that caused that pain. And it is very complex and it's very difficult and what it looks like will be different for everybody. But hopefully, you know, seeing those two different sides of the coin will maybe help you find some understanding in your own path. Okay, to, to move on from that though, uh, to go into the next piece that we felt was important about coming to terms with the pain you have caused is maintaining healthy boundaries now. Because just like so many of us that when we came out of that trauma, we went to that opposite end where we never got our needs met. So we became super aggressive about meeting our needs. Sometimes that can happen now too in our healing journey where we realize for so long, oh my God, I, I was so aggressive with my boundaries and I hurt so many people. Now I have to be a doormat again. And we almost want to flip back to our childhood of just allowing people to step all over us. But all we're doing at that point is repeating that cycle. And so there does come a part in coming to terms with this that we have to remember that healthy boundaries are a responsibility. We've done the work to know what healthy boundaries are, to be able to start putting those into our lives and enforcing those in our lives. And it's vitally important that we continue to maintain those healthy boundaries and we don't flip back into just being a doormat because all we're going to do at that point is perpetuate that. And so we do have to go back to those concepts like Ivy and I were talking about necessary versus unnecessary pain and being responsible for maintaining healthy boundaries, not just for our own benefit, but maintaining those healthy boundaries for others as well. I do kind of want to reiterate what Autumn said about having to find a balance, essentially, with your boundaries. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed very recently, partly in retrospect looking back on myself, but also partly seeing a lot of people on social media when it comes to boundaries, one of the things that I have noticed is that often 
early on in trauma recovery, when we first get away from a trauma and we're getting a chance to assert ourselves and really start to heal, we get triggered so much more easily. And so even if the boundaries that you have are not inflicting pain on other people because you're just trying to make sure that, you're, that your needs are being seen to and fuck everybody else, even if you're not doing that, a lot of times when we are fresh out of the trauma and we're just starting to find our bearings, our boundaries are very rigid. I look back now on what my boundaries were like a decade ago. And man, did I have a lot of them. They were very rigid. I would cut people off so quickly if they did not adhere to every single little boundary that I had. And I think that's honestly a natural part of the process of healing from trauma especially in those early stages, because we often go from a space where we did not have anybody seeing to our needs. We were not safe. We we were not secure. We did not feel loved. We did not feel noticed sometimes, or if we did feel noticed, we were abused. And so when we first get out of that, I think it's very natural for us to have super rigid boundaries. Are those the healthiest? No. But I think it's important to remember that where you're at with your boundaries is where you're at with your boundaries. 10 years ago, I needed those super rigid boundaries. Now I look back on those boundaries and I kind of cringe a little bit because who I am now in this part of my journey has much more fluid boundaries, has much more permeable boundaries. They're still there. They're still firm when they need to be firm, but they are not so rigid. They're not caged in and steel walls. That's not what's going on anymore with my boundaries. I am now at a space in my recovery where I feel safer, more secure, more capable of advocating for myself in a healthy way, more understanding of what relationships are supposed to look like, what give and take is supposed to look like. I don't see everything as a threat in the same ways that I did before. And the reason why I bring this up is because I think this is a really important part of taking accountability for the harm we've done and then also changing things moving forward is accepting that your boundaries will kind of ebb and flow based on where you're at in your journey and the boundaries that you have the rigidity or permeability of the boundaries that you have can tell you a lot about where you're at in your process. If you have super rigid boundaries, if you have a ton of them, if there is no give, if you automatically feel the need to cut people off from your life, if you even perceive that they're crossing a boundary, or if you automatically get super defensive, that tells you that there's still a lot of healing that needs to be done. And then we go back to like looking at the root causes of why we have these things, why we act in the ways that we do act. And you may find that as you get healthier, you look back on those super rigid boundaries and you recognize how those were also causing damage as well. But at the time it was what you needed because that's where you were at in your journey. You did not have the capacity for anything else. And there is no point in berating yourself or feeling shame or feeling extra guilty about having those boundaries at that time. You may look back on them later on when you're in a healthier space and feel like, ooh, that was, that was really rigid, but it's what you needed at that time. And to point back to what Autumn was saying, you also wanna make sure that you don't go too far in the other direction either. You don't want your boundaries to become so permeable that there's really no boundary at all. You, you don't want to be a pushover, a doormat for people. And if you find yourself doing that, look at the reasons for why you're doing that. Is that coming from a space of guilt and shame because you feel like you hurt other people and now you don't deserve to have boundaries? Where you're at with boundaries can tell you an awful lot about where you're at in your healing journey. 
And part of being accountable for ourselves, not just accountable for the harm that we've done, but being accountable for ourselves in our healing journey in general is having the self-awareness and the willingness to really look at ourselves and where we're at with things so that we can gauge and judge what needs to happen next in our healing and recovery. If you are at that space with those super rigid boundaries, that's where you're at. And there's no point when you're in a better space of looking back and shitting on yourself for having those because it's what you needed to do at the time because you were just learning how to establish boundaries. And a lot of times we do go a little too far with that, especially if we do come from childhood trauma because we're learning how to do everything ourselves and we're learning it the hard way because nobody taught us and having those really rigid boundaries is a natural part of that process for a lot of people and you don't have to feel ashamed and guilty about it but do be aware of it be aware of how defensive you are be aware of how rigid your boundaries are how many of them you have how easily you are willing to cut people out of your life be mindful of those things because that will tell you a whole lot about how many wounds you still have that need to be addressed those ideas Ivy was talking about of keeping awareness and continuing to do the work, you know, identifying the causes and then stepping back into whatever work that has created so that we can resolve that and regulate that and get healthier with that. That is all also part of taking accountability and coming to terms with the harm we've caused is doing better moving forward. Everything we talked about, about stopping that cycle of trauma, us being that one to take that stand and say, I am not going to be paying this forward. That's also part of us taking accountability and it is also part of how many of us can come to terms with it by being healthier moving forward. And unfortunately, another piece of it is is radical acceptance. I say unfortunately because I struggle with radical acceptance. And the reality is we do just have to live with it. We can try to make amends. We can become better people. We can do all of these things. But this is still our past. We did still cause that pain. And we do have to find a way to just live with it. And for me, a big piece of that is focusing on moving forward, focusing on becoming a better person, but not ignoring my past either. You don't want to drive always looking in the rearview mirror because you're likely going to crash. You're going to end up somewhere you don't want to be. But having that rearview mirror, having the ability to look back can also help us be better drivers. And that analogy really works well for our mental health and this healing journey as well. You don't want to just cut yourself off from the past. I am very against that idea that it's the past and we just need to let it go and move on. I think it's an integral part of who we are and it provides us so many lessons and we do need to keep an eye on it and be aware of it, but we can't keep all of our focus there. And so for me, the biggest piece I've done to just live with and accept the pain that I have caused others is really put so much focus and so much energy into not just becoming a healthier person myself, but actively perpetuating health outward, actively perpetuating growth outward. Just as I said earlier, our trauma and our pain can bleed out into everybody. So can our health and our growth. We can shed light. We can provide nutrients. We can provide resources outward just as much as we have provided pain. A lot of things in this process are very future oriented because it's about making these changes that are going to help you be a better person moving forward. One of the things that I would note in addition to that, though, that I've really tried to focus on now, I am not a toxic positivity kind of person, but I do try to see the silver linings and things as much as I possibly can. And it sucks. It sucks really bad knowing that you becoming a better person had to come at another person's expense. That is 
a very difficult, painful thing to live with. But that being said, one of the things that I do try to focus on, especially with my ex-husband, and if I can, I, I probably will not approach him again because I don't think it would do any good for him. I did apologize to him earlier on a few years back, but it's... It, it probably would not serve him to be involved in his life again. But if I were to talk to him one more time, what I would tell him is that I am so fucking thankful for him. And I am so sorry, again, for all of the pain that I caused him. But God, I am so thankful for him because he was the turning point that changed everything for me. I, I will have to live with the guilt for the rest of my life of what I did to him. But if it were not for him, I don't know when or if I would have made the changes that I have made because he was such a good, kind, loving person who really did everything he could think of to do to help me heal. And because he was that, not flawless, nobody's flawless. It's not like he doesn't have his issues and his weaknesses, but because there was absolutely nothing I could point to about him and say, well, you fucked up and I responded by doing this to you. There was nothing that I could have done to justify my behavior. And because of the example that he set there, I have become such a better person. I have worked so hard to be a better person. And I have so much remorse that I did not become a better person earlier and make more of an effort with him and for him that relationship would not have worked out anyway we were not well suited to each other but i didn't have to leave him in that pain it's always going to be a mixed bag when you are taking accountability and you are trying to move forward yes you need to look forward to the future but in that rearview mirror i think it's important to not only acknowledge and recognize the damage that was done but it's also i think very important and healing at least for you it's healing and maybe for the other person if you are in a situation where they would be receptive and it would be a good healing thing for both of you to have this conversation but i think it is an incredibly healing thing to be able to see that person that you caused that pain to and recognize that that person was part of the turning point in your life where you decided to make those changes because they highlighted for you how important it was for those changes to be made. I am probably, even though we weren't together for very long, he wasn't part of my life for a super long time, I am probably more thankful for my ex-husband than I am for almost any other person I have encountered in my life because he really was the point at which I changed everything. This is just part of doing the work is coming to terms with the pain that we have caused, with the trauma that we paid forward inadvertently or sometimes intentionally. Because if we stop doing the work and we allow ourselves to fall into that shame and we allow ourselves to fall into the regret, then it's all for naught. It, it really is because we're going to stagnate and we're going to return to that cycle and we will not have broken the chain of trauma. We will not have broken the chain of abuse. And so it is part of the work of maintaining that balance and holding that remorse and continuing to move forward in this journey of growth and love. And the last thing I would like to bring up today before we wrap everything up, and I do feel like this is very important to helping us come to terms with the pain we have caused other people, is making sure that you continue to allow yourself to get close to people moving forward. Because I do think so many of us, we do 
begin to get scared that we're going to hurt other people. And when we do start growing, we don't want to cause this pain and we're trying to take control of it. We can sometimes shut ourselves off from others. And I know I have been one of these people and continue to be working with this because this is where I'm at in my journey right now. Growth cannot happen in a vacuum. And part of breaking this trauma cycle is breaking it outward. And so we do need to connect with other people and we do need to test that the work we have done is actually taking and is actually working because when we do it all in the lab and we do it all in our counselor's office and we do it all in the self-help workbook that is great but until we can go out into real life and actually apply these lessons we haven't really learned them yet i doubt anybody else will get this reference because it's kind of uh, obscure and anime i don't i've never even met another person that's watched it but my favorite anime is Inu X Boku SS. And it's about this girl who she has a bad habit of kind of insulting people because she's just very guarded. She doesn't mean to insult people. She feels guilty afterwards. She feels terrible, but she keeps doing it because it's just a protective mechanism that she has. And so she moves away from her family and she moves into this hotel with a lot of other kind of misfit people. And her entire goal for moving there is to be completely alone until she gets well enough that she won't hurt anybody anymore. And what she learns throughout this process is that that's not possible. That's the message that she keeps getting is isolating yourself will not help you get better. Cutting yourself off from everybody will not help you get better. You learn to trust, you learn to be kinder, you learn to love, you learn to let yourself be loved by being around people, by choosing to form relationships. And, and the first time that I watched that anime, that lesson right over my head, to be perfectly honest, because <laughs> I was watching it for the fluffy romance story of which there is a great one. But the bigger lesson in that completely went over my head. And now I, I recognize that on a more subliminal level, that anime became my favorite because it was so relatable for me because I felt so much like Ruricio in that story because I felt like all I do is hurt people. That's all I do. I just do damage to everybody around me. I don't mean to, but I open my mouth or I do things and it just causes pain and catastrophe for everybody. So the only way that I'm going to get to a spot where I stop hurting people is if I completely shut myself off from everyone and everything until I'm better. And that's not how that works, because while there is a lot of internal growth that needs to happen and a lot of changes that we have to make, some of those changes can only happen in real time. It's like on the job training or like going to school. And then you get out of school and you get to your first job and they tell you to unlearn everything that you learned in school because theory is great and making those behavioral changes is great and changing your perspective. All those things are wonderful and amazing. But until you get the opportunity to do those things in real time, you get that on the job training you give people a chance to get close to you. You will never know if you've actually changed and you're never going to be able to see the fruits of those labors and you're never going to know what a healthy relationship could actually look like. Sometimes you just have to try getting close to other people. The human experience is so complex and relationships are so complex and complicated and some pain is necessary and some is unnecessary and we're all going to hurt people at one point or another. That is an unavoidable part of life and growth and relationships and social structures. The important thing is that you do have the self-awareness and you do see the changes that need to happen and you actively work towards making those changes and those improvements and learning the skills necessary to have those healthy relationships. But 
you actually have to have those relationships too because everything else on some level is just theoretical. The internal changes that you make to become a better person, those are very real, but we are social creatures. We are very social beings, even the most introverted of us. We do strive for and want connection and you have to be willing to take a leap of faith sometimes. That leap of faith is vitally important and it is faith because we don't necessarily know we just have to place trust in the work that we have done and as far as we have come on our journey. And I'm sure as you could tell from the podcast today, the idea of coming to terms with the pain we have done to others and the trauma we have unintentionally paid forward to those around us is still a big part of Ivy and I's journey. And it's something we're still learning to come to terms with. We're no expert. We haven't fixed it all and solved it all. It's just part of the experience that we still are having. And if this is part of your journey, we would love to hear more about this from you. We would love to have you be part of this conversation. We would love to hear from you on this topic. Ivy, can you give them our connecty bits so they know how to reach out to us? I sure can. You can find us at our website, www.differentfunctional.com. There is a contact form on there where you can reach out to us. You can also find us on social media. We are on Facebook as Different Functional. We are on Instagram and TikTok as Different underscore Functional. If you would like to get a few bonus things, blooper reels and extra stuff that we cut out of the episodes and behind the scenes things, we are on Patreon as well if you would like to join us over there. And if you want to email us some of your stories, that would be cool too. Our email is differentfunctional at gmail.com. I think that's all the ways to get in contact with us. But if you really want to get creative, you're welcome to come up with new ways. I don't know, maybe you could like get one of those plane banners or something, just fly across the sky. <laughs> Signal to us with some flares. I don't know, something. Get creative. We're we're open. We're receptive to contact with you guys. We would love to hear your stories. We would love to interact with you to really form more of a community. Uh, it can get pretty lonely being on the healing journey. It, it's pretty lonely in general that with trauma recovery and mental health and neurodivergence, it can be kind of hard to find your tribe if you want to call it that. And we would love to be part of yours. We would really love to hear from you guys. And if you are enjoying the podcast, if you feel like you benefit from it and you know other people who might might benefit from it. It would be fantastic if you could leave us a rating, a review, a comment, uh, even word of mouth, tell people about the podcast. That would also be wonderful. And we are oh so thankful to those of you who are spreading the word and are showing your support by listening and by you know liking our posts on social media and all that good stuff. Very, very, very thankful for all of you out there that are supporting us and helping us grow our listener base so we can continue doing this podcast that we love doing. We hope you enjoyed our episode today. We hope to hear from you. And as always, remember, different does not mean defective.